Hello, data friends, and welcome to DataFem, where we engage you with stories of how innovators across the globe are using data to achieve new heights in their respective industries. I'm Danielle, founder of Decayo Data, and we're continuing this amazing season of DataFem with an episode sponsored by Plotly featuring Emma Gulliar. She is a developer at Plotly, whom you know well for their online data analytics and visualization tools that are so beautiful and so easy to use with R, Python, Julia, JavaScript, and it's all open source. And she also is an avid Pythonista with a background in physics. So no matter who you are or what you're into, you're going to get a lot out of this episode. It's fascinating. She's fascinating. And I hope you enjoy. Well, hi, Emma. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you and hear your story. So why don't we start out with you telling us a little bit about your background and how you found yourself in your data science career today. First of all, thank you very much for inviting me to, to talk. I'm very uh, excited. Uh, so about my background, uh, so disclaimer is that uh, I never had a, a computer science class in my studies, <laughs> as a lot of people in, in data science, because uh, I come from physics and material science. I studied physics uh, at university. I got a PhD in fluid mechanics and soft matter. And then I was hired as a researcher in a joint lab between academia and industry, where uh, I'm doing research in um, glass at high temperature. And as a scientist, you usually have a lot of uh, data to process. And for me, it was mostly data as images. And uh, in order to process my data, I needed to learn how to program. And this is how I started using Python. And uh, fortunately, it's quite a, an easy language to uh, start learning when you don't have a strong background in computer science. And, um, but then I, I did not consider myself at all an expert in Python, but I knew I was benefiting from all this uh, open source work, uh, which gives you Python and a lot of libraries for free. And the way I became involved into Python development was actually thanks to its social aspect. That is, I, I started being involved organizing conferences about scientific Python, especially EuroPython, uh, EuroCypy, sorry, or writing documentation, like writing tutorials, giving tutorials at conferences. And uh, then I started contributing to Scikit-Image, which is an image processing toolkit. And it became a bit my, my hobby, like uh, research was my work and open source contributing was my hobby. And I made a lot of friends in uh, open source and at some point I realized it was also nice if I could turn my hobby into a job and this is how I joined Plotly which is a, an open core company that is a, a startup uh, 
which uh, develops uh, open source visualization tools which are used by uh, uh, a lot of users. And uh, so this is how I, I got involved with Plotly. That's awesome. It's um, really cool to hear you talk about the community because I know that for me, the R community is a big part of my life, both professionally and as a hobby. And then, you know, I know the Python community is strong as well. Um, what about how many people in that Python open source community are working on image processing as well? And like what kind of libraries and um, like aspects of Python help with image processing specifically? In, in terms of a, a number of people working in Python and image processing, it's, uh, you, you can use the metaphor of the, the iceberg because you have like uh, uh, a small number of people uh, developing packages, which is not that small actually, because for, so scikit-image uh, is uh, this toolkit uh, with algorithms for image processing, and it has around 10 core developers. I'm one of them. But uh, then you have almost 400 people who have uh, contributed over the years. We have about 10 years of existence. So uh, you see from 10 to 400, it's a big, big uh, factor. And then in terms of users, uh, we estimate that we have about uh, 40,000 users active at a given time. So it's a number of uh, people who consult uh, on a regular basis the documentation website, and probably even more people who use uh, the toolkit uh, from time to time. So it gives you some order of uh, magnitude uh, for Scikit-Image, so about 40,000 users. And uh, you also have other uh, interesting packages for image processing in Python. Uh, so Scikit-Image is mostly for scientific image processing, but you also have OpenCV for computer vision. Uh, so computer vision is, is more like automatic recognition of objects. Uh, say, um, I recognize this person in this video. Whereas in scientific image processing, it's more, uh, let's say, um, careful uh, identification of uh, the pixels of an object, like a cell in biology, if you want to uh, make measurements on this cell and, and so on. And you also have all the thriving ecosystem of uh, deep learning, since uh, a lot of image processing these days is made thanks to deep learning. Uh, so uh, you have PyTorch and TensorFlow and Keras, uh, which are all very interesting packages for image processing. And a, a nice thing is that all these packages interact quite nicely together because they all manipulate NumPy arrays or at least uh, objects which are numerical data arrays. So it's quite easy to use functions from one package and then other functions from another package because uh, they use common objects. Uh, so you, you don't have barriers which would, uh, uh, which would make it uh, compulsory to use only one, one tool. Yeah. Uh, so it's a quite uh, big and, and thriving ecosystem for the, the image processing in Python. You know, I'm so inspired by like your open source contributions and then hearing you talk about it even more like really gets me excited. So you kind of went into this already, but like 
how how did you get the inspiration to create you know the dash canvas library that you've worked on and like what was that process like my, my contributions have two sources of uh, inspiration i would say one of them is uh, scratching a niche like uh, originally i'm i'm a practitioner i'm uh, i'm a physicist so i need some tools uh, to do my, my work, my research, and when the tools are not there or they don't do what I want, uh, I'm frustrated. So uh, I feel like uh, I, I should uh, develop some tools. And uh, on the other hand, um, you have some existing tools which are great, but uh, they are developed by only a small number of people, and most of the time they are volunteers. Uh, not all of them. This year, I'm really lucky to be paid to do open source work thanks to to Plotly and also to uh, the the CZI, uh initiative, the Chancellor Zuckerberg initiative, which uh, gave us a grant to develop uh, Scikit-Image and, and Plotly. Uh, but since it's mostly volunteers who develop open source work, do you think? Like, I'm using these tools, I should give back to the community, and uh, if I find a bug, I should submit a pull request, or if the documentation is not clear, how about improving this documentation? And uh, I, I've also taught a lot uh, scientific Python, like um, to students, people of my lab, and when you teach, uh, it's a great way to realize what's missing, uh, in the tools, so it's also a great source of inspiration for uh, the for making open source contributions. So that's the the theory I would say. And so for for Dash Canvas, um, so I, I have been contributing to to Scikit Image for almost ten years now. And uh, so with Scikit Image, you can do image processing in a thanks to a functional API, that is, you call functions, you write lines of code, and then it returns new data, and you're able to transform your image data this way. So this is great because you can call very powerful algorithms, but sometimes you need a little bit more interactivity, because um, if you take the example of medical imaging, with which you're familiar, thanks to your grandmother, uh, then sometimes, uh, for example, uh, if you have a lesion in the brain, or uh, a tumor, you want to be able to uh, color some pixels to outline a region and say, I want my image processing pipeline to apply exactly to this part of my image. So you need to be able to interact in a smooth and fast way with your images. And this is how with uh, Plotly colleagues, we got the idea of uh, adding annotation tools to uh, the, the Plotly uh, tool stack. It was really from the need of uh, developing annotations from images. And so what, what we did uh, was uh, first to develop a, a prototype library, which uh, is called Dash Canvas. So Dash Canvas is a component for annotating images for the, the Dash web framework. So Dash is uh, a tool for developing um, web apps, analytical apps, uh, but uh, in pure Python with no JavaScript. And so Dash Canvas was a component for these apps, so like a, a Lego brick 
uh, with which you can annotate images, like you can draw on your images to select some regions, uh, you can measure some lengths with lines, and so on and so forth. So this Dash Canvas library um, was the first proof of concept, and uh, recently we've integrated this annotation tools into the Plotly graphing libraries, uh, which are used by uh, tens to hundreds thousands of users so that it's possible to uh, do what is done in Dash Canvas also in Plotly uh, figures, uh, so that it's possible to annotate images, but also scatter plots, uh, histograms, uh, and so on. Neat. So is annotation, like you mentioned, the main way that image processing interacts with um, data visualization in your work? So. In fact, yeah, uh, data visualization can be a part of image processing, in particular during the data exploration part, because uh, when you have uh, large imaging data sets, sometimes you don't even know the questions. Uh, you, you need to explore them first and to uh, see what's interesting in, in your data set. Image Processing can be done without any visualization, just applying algorithms in a pipeline way. But, um, however, it's usually better to start with the data exploration uh, part, and this is where uh, you need powerful and meaningful data visualization tools, because data visualization is uh, what allows you to make sense out of data, like to convert a big numerical table into a histogram or a time series that is uh, data which are intelligible thanks to a graphical representation. So with image processing, you could think, okay, uh, I can already see my images, so uh, I don't need any fancy uh, data visualization, but uh, this is not true because uh, you can take the example of uh, more advanced uh, imaging modalities, like, for example, uh, uh, three-dimensional imaging modalities, uh, MRI, or tomography CT, or sometimes you can have uh, two images of uh, the, the same part of the body, medical imaging, and you want to uh, put them together. It's called registration, so that they match. So you have quite a lot of visualization to, to do here. Uh, and there is all the data annotation part where you, you want to select some parts of the image or when you want also to visualize the, the output of uh, an image processing workflow. Like let's say uh, you have identified pixels um, of a specific part of the image and you want to check that uh, the, the workflow worked correctly or you want to correct uh, some parts of the results and then you want to annotate which uh, pixels are assigned correctly or need to be corrected and so on and so forth. So it's not exactly the same thing, but data visualization is an important tool for image processing, I would say. That's really good to know. You know, I just had no idea how they interacted. In, in hospitals, uh, uh, usually medical doctors have a, a lot of uh, dedicated software uh, in order to visualize the imaging data correctly. Like if you go and you have an ultrasound uh, and uh, you want to see um, 
how the blood flows uh, during the ultrasound and so on. You have nice visualization, superimposing uh, different kinds of images and so on. So data visualization is really important for, for images. I images are one uh, specific kind of data, but uh, visualization is, is important here too. And with, with Dash, what we are trying to do with Plotly for image processing is to show that thanks to this annotation tools, it, it's possible to build very powerful and specific apps for, let's say, one uh, research or medical application uh, in just a few hundreds of lines of code, uh, just knowing Python and a bit of image processing. You can make a web app which you can share with, uh, with colleagues, with customers, uh, and so on. That is amazing. That's a good transition to, you know, talk about how this audience listening, who's obviously going to want to get more involved in these capabilities after listening to you, um, how can they get started? You know, because open source is a wonderful way, obviously, for people to learn um, new software, new packages. I know that for me, I pretty much taught myself data science through um, like open source softwares like Jupyter and RStudio, obviously, um, and Plotly. And so it's really amazing what we have accessible to us so that, you know, that kind of is an equalizer for people from marginalized groups who might not have that same um, privilege to be already be in the scene, like, you know, can get involved. Um, so yeah, what are what are some ways and what are some, what are the best ways for somebody who's listening to you talk about this and wants to kind of play around with the same types of image processing and visualization that you just mentioned? Like, where should they start? There are many entry points, but uh, an obvious one is the documentation. Uh, with the different tools uh, we're talking about, so Plotly Dash and Sighted Image, we, we take great pride and attention to uh, write a lot of documentation. Uh, for, for example, when a new feature is introduced in Plotly or in Scikit Image, uh, it needs to come with uh, an example for the documentation, including a figure, something very visual. Uh, so the documentation is a very obvious entry point. Uh, and uh, there are also a, a lot of uh, conferences and, and meetups. When you attend a conference, uh, you realize that you have people like you uh, who are using the same tools who are developers, and it's more encouraging than just developing on your own. So I, I would really encourage uh, people, uh, especially people uh, from underrepresented groups, uh, like female developers, to, uh, to attend uh, conferences uh, or uh, meetups with uh, people who are like them, like for example for uh, female developers uh, there are uh, the Pi Ladies or the Django Girls because uh, then it's, it's more fun and uh, you feel more like you, you belong. When you read the documentation, to, to come back to the documentation, then uh, I would suggest to start writing code as soon as possible because uh, what's nice with the software development is that it's possible to make very small projects uh, quite quickly. And um, then the next step would be why not contribute 
directly to these open source tools uh, because it's actually a very fun way to learn a lot and to gain a lot of uh, valuable skills which are very easy to, to market uh, for jobs in particular if you contribute to, to open source. So it's, it's both fun but uh, also very beneficial for you. And so it can be a bit daunting to say, hey, how can I contribute to Plotly or to Image? These are packages uh, which are used by uh, tens to hundreds of thousands of people. But in fact, there are really many ways of contributing. And most major Python packages have extensive documentation on how to contribute. Uh, and really trying to detail the, the different ways of contributing. That is, uh, of course, uh, contributing new features. This is what people primarily think about when they think about open source development. But this can be a bit difficult when you're starting. So it's also possible to uh, write documentation. Let's say you find uh, an example in the documentation which is unclear or which is badly phrased because we are also a lot of people who are not uh, native English speakers, so usually the phrasing can be improved, or uh, to correct a small bug, because there are a lot of corner cases and it's hard to think of everything. And hopefully you'll find out that uh, the development teams are quite welcoming when you propose even a small change, because uh, they are very happy to have more people contributing to this effort because there's a lot to be done and so there's probably room for you uh, even if you hadn't thought yet about uh, contributing to open source. That's really awesome to hear because I myself, you know, I'm way more on the media side because I started this company, but I still do like to stay um, updated as a data scientist and I work mainly in R, but I think it would be really cool for me to look at some of the image processing work that you've done to make it more accessible to others, like using Plotly and Dash. You know, I'm not going to have to start coding from scratch because people like you have already done that part, you know? Um, so I think yeah. that's really helpful. Um, and you mentioned, so you mentioned um, English as a second language, and I've had guests on the podcast before that talk about that as, you know, definitely a challenge because a lot of materials are in um, English and, you know, there's this whole move to kind of um, translate and spread resource materials to other languages. So what's that like? Like, what's that like um, working on such an international remote team and, you know, combining people of several different language backgrounds? So uh, to, to answer about the, the remote team, uh, first maybe it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's at the same time, it's awesome and a bit complicated. <laughs> uh, it's, it's awesome because yeah, for, for, for Plotly, Dash or Image, we, we have developers on several uh, countries, continents. And so it really brings a, a, a diversity and a wealth of opinions. Uh, which really contributes to the success of uh, open source projects, I think. Uh, at the same time, it's a bit complicated, like when you want to organize a dev meeting for Image, you have to find uh, a schedule which works for Australia, Europe, 
either east coast or west coast, but usually you can do both. So you have to be very flexible. Um, people having different uh, mother tongues, uh, first of all, I, I think you have to be open-minded and to accept that, okay, we're all using uh, English on GitHub, but uh, it's uh, not the, the first language of uh, most developers. So we first we have to make sure that, for example, the documentation is, is clear enough and doesn't use very complicated uh, English, which would so sometimes be more elegant, but would be uh, uh, more complicated for, for people to understand. And um, so as for translating documentation, I have not been involved with this myself, but uh, I know that uh, several projects are, are working on it. I, I know also that uh, with Plotly figures, uh, you have the possibility of uh, displaying the controls in several languages. And uh, it's very fun that from time to time we have a pull request of someone adding a new corpus of uh, words and um, so to the code so that plotly figures can be used in a different language. So it's, it's really cool. So when it happens, we also have to find reviewers who are able to check uh, that uh, the translation is okay. Uh, but it's, it's like traveling a little bit uh, while being on GitHub, which is uh, very nice. And uh, of course, it's like with languages, like when you learn a new programming language, and you already know a few, then it's easier. But it also takes a lot of time, and you're like, oh, why is it much more difficult than the uh, languages I already know? But it's just that you you don't know this language yet. <laughs> Maybe you can like just tell me and the audience like where can we find your meetups specifically, and like you know your conferences, and how we can get involved with those events virtually right now with COVID. There are like two different types of uh, conferences or, or meetups that I can mention. You, you have the local ones, uh, which gather like every month. And uh, it's very nice because it's, it's local and you get to know the people. Uh, and you usually get them in most uh, major cities. Like uh, uh, in particular, you have the PyData groups. So uh, in, in Paris, for example, there is a PyData group. In Montreal, there's one as well. Usually what it takes is a, a few enthusiastic people, and uh, then other people join, and it becomes huge. Uh, so I definitely encourage people to join uh, PyData, uh, PyLadies uh, groups, or to create them if they don't exist. And you also have this more global conferences, um, which happen every year, and uh, which are great because you can meet uh, developers of the core packages of the scientific or data science Python. Uh, so uh, you have uh, the, the SciPy conference, which usually takes place in Austin, Texas. Uh, but this year, it was uh, fully remote, and it's it was great to see that actually conferences have put a lot of effort into turning conferences not only into recorded talks, but uh, 
uh, they've been innovative in having more questions and answer sessions, more lightning talks, so that it was really interactive and that um, it being remote wasn't a problem, but actually it became a strength. So SciPy this year was absolutely great. Um, there were the PyData conferences. There was a PyData in New York, uh, also on the West Coast, in London, Paris, Berlin. Um, and uh, in Europe, there was uh, Euro SciPy, which is the European equivalent of uh, SciPy. Uh, this is the conference uh, I got involved with uh, at the beginning, and it's a very, very nice small conference, which is very relaxed, and, and people have a lot of fun. And it's also interesting, I think, when you're da data scientist to, uh, to attend from time to time uh, general Python conferences like PyCon or EuroPython. Because one very nice thing with Python is that it's not only used for data science or science, but it's used also for web development, system administration, and a lot of different fields. And it's one of the great strengths of the language, uh, I'd say, because uh, when you get familiar with the language and its logics, then the possibilities are endless because if at some point you need like to do a bit of web development, hey, the libraries are already here. So uh, just listening to some Python talks or attending the conference uh, from time to time uh, gives you a great overview about what is possible, and it can give you give you ideas about collaborations, new projects. Um, so uh, I, I definitely uh, encourage people to to go to conferences also maybe to help organizing them because it uh, usually takes a, a lot of energy. You learn so much when you're in that bubble, like you take off work and then you just get really immersed in that world really and that really does make a lasting impact when you go back mm -hmm. to your work and bring that knowledge back with you. Yeah. Oh, oh, also, um, I, I forgot to mention since you you, you said you were using Jupyter a lot. There's JupyterCon, uh, Jupyter Conference, uh, in October, I think. It, it's coming soon, and it will be fully online. Uh, and it's uh, it's going to be very exciting. So it could also be one interesting conference to, to check out. Yeah. That sounds like a really fun one, too. You're getting me all hyped up. I'm going to have to hope even harder that conferences come back swinging. So I wanted to thank you so much for having this discussion with me. I really enjoyed it and I'm super inspired and I know that my listeners definitely are too and will be wanting to look you up. Uh, I mean, I, I'm always happy to, to, to talk with uh, data scientists, especially people from uh, underrepresented groups. So the, the best way is probably to, to reach out on Twitter. Uh, and uh, I, I'll be happy if you have questions or yeah, don't don't hesitate to to reach out uh, if uh, people who listen to this podcast want to to reach out. Well, we will definitely take you up on that. You know, I survive and live on Twitter, and a lot of my listeners have found DataFem through Twitter as well and are very active. So, is there any advice you mentioned underrepresented groups? in particular, is there any advice that you would give to people starting out in the industry who may see less people who look like themselves? How can we find our places like you did? 
So um, I, I, I think uh, I, I can say several things. Uh, one of them is that uh, you definitely belong uh, to the community of data science and, uh, and software development. Uh, so uh, if at some point you feel like you, you don't belong, it's, uh, uh, it's a fault of the environment, not your fault. And uh, uh, I think most people are allies and think that you belong. But uh, one important thing is also to, to find uh, allies, people who uh, are willing to be active in including underrepresented groups because it's uh, there is a high, uh, I would say, uh, uh, activation energy because I'm a physicist. That, uh, like, you have a barrier uh, when, let's say, you come from an underrepresented group and you're the only person from this group, and you you see uh, all the white dudes, and you're like, uh, <laughs> is it really for me? So uh, it's it's important to, I, I would say, to find people who are inspirational to you or who are like you or who are willing to, to help you. So this is why uh, the groups like uh, by Ladies for, for Women or uh, Data Umbrella in New York, uh, who, who, who is a group focusing especially in uh, including uh, all kinds of uh, underrepresented groups and finding allies uh, is very important. So know that these resources uh, exist and they are uh, very helpful. And then uh, I would say be bold and don't undervalue yourself. Uh, if uh, you have some problems with the tools, it's uh, likely that other people uh, have them too and that uh, your contribution to uh, improve open source tools uh, can be uh, very valuable. So really don't undervalue what you do. And uh, finally, uh, I, I would say when you um, uh, become more integrated into the community, uh, probably even if you don't think of yourself as a role model, you will be a role model for uh, people from your group. And it's important to realize it and to reach out to uh, people to try to be as inclusive as possible. Uh, I, I think diversity and inclusion is not a passive thing of uh, uh, just providing a, a safe space but not doing anything. It has to be very active. So energy needs to, to be put uh, for diversity and inclusion. And uh, I, I think uh, we uh, are all concerned uh, and uh, we, we should all get uh, involved uh, for more diversity and inclusion. Thank you so much, Emma, for conversing with me and sharing all of the amazing bits of knowledge in this episode. I really enjoyed it, and I know that my listeners did too. So if you're listening to this, definitely check out the links that I've provided in the show notes to learn more about Plotly and upcoming events and product releases. Also, keep an eye on Twitter for the release of this episode if you haven't seen it already because the episode post will include a link to Emma's Twitter if you have any more questions for her. As for Datafem, you know that you can always support our fabulous content by becoming a patron of Dikayo Data 
on Patreon, the link is www.patreon.com slash datafem. And I am looking forward to seeing you next week.